If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Medicine Path Podcast is made possible through the generous support of our patrons on Patreon.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, subscriptions begin at just $2 a month, which gives you access to the full podcast archives, including exclusive bonus episodes and podcast extras. You can find out more at Patreon.com forward slash Medicine Path. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. The Medicine Path features intimate and engaging conversations with teachers and elders in the fields of art, music, psychology, and shamanism, with the intention of offering guidance and wisdom on your medicine path of healing, growth, and transformation. On this episode, I speak with author, teacher, and therapist, John Lee. In our conversation, we focus on the subject of emotional regression that he covered in his 2001 book, Growing Yourself Back Up, and has since lectured and taught workshops on all over the world. I first discovered John's work through recordings of his presentations at the Minnesota Men's Conference with Robert Bly back in the 1990s. The thing that made John stand out for me is his down-to-earth style of teaching, which is no doubt due in part to his Southern upbringing. John's got a real talent for making complex psychological concepts easy to understand, and he presents them in a way that I think anyone can relate to. 
I've certainly benefited a lot from John's work over the years, and it's a real honor and joy for me to share his earthly wisdom with you. Before we get to the interview, I just want to take a moment to check in and let you know what I've been up to. It's been a while since I've released an episode, and a lot has happened since the last one back in early March. Of course, COVID came along and shook things up for everyone. Not being able to teach public classes or see clients in person has had an effect on my professional life, but I think I've been using the time pretty well. I've added a couple dozen new yoga videos to my Patreon site. I've filmed and released my first comprehensive yoga course at artofyoga.ca, and I gave my website a complete redesign and overhaul. I guess the biggest news is that Debbie Kingston and I moved from our home in Montreal back to Vancouver Island in June. And this was a big costly move, but we're feeling really blessed to be back here, living in a small seaside town surrounded by lush coastal rainforest. My coaching practice has been busy, and I'm thankful that I'd already been doing online sessions with people for many years. So I felt really well prepared for the Zoom life that many of us have been forced to embrace these past few months. It's allowed me to work with people from all over the world, and currently I have clients as far away as Sri Lanka, Germany, New Zealand, and even Belgium, which is really amazing. If you're interested in working with me, you can check out my updated website at brianjames.ca and book a free consultation. There, you'll also find more information about my books, courses, and yoga video resources. I've been hearing from lots of people who discovered the medicine path through the recommendation of a friend, so please do continue to share this podcast on your social networks. I'm freshly inspired to get it going again, and I've got some really great interviews coming up that I'm excited to share with you all. I'm also thinking of releasing episodes where I read my book, Yoga and Plant Medicine, and release a chapter a week. So let me know if that's something you'd like me to do. I'm always happy to hear from you, and you can reach out on social media or send an email to hello at brianjames.ca. You can also find me on Instagram at revealingthesoul. Okay, enough about me. It's my great pleasure to present this conversation with author and therapist, John Lee. On the medicine path. All right, I'm here with John Lee, who is an author, a teacher, a therapist's therapist, so someone who trains therapists. He's an acting life coach. And he's been a teacher that's been really influential on me. And I really want more people to tune into the work that John's done over his 30 plus years of writing and teaching. And so it's a great honor to be able to speak with you, John. I've been listening to you for years. I first got introduced to you through the archival recordings of the men's conference that uh, Robert Bly started way back when. And ever since then, your teachings have really helped me in my life and relationships. Um, Mm. I find your approach so down to earth and practical. It's like you take a lot of these complex psychological ideas and you, uh, 
you impart them or share them in a way that I think everybody can relate to. So super valuable. And I just want more people to know about you and your work. So thanks for being here, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I can't thank you enough for the support of that work. And I'm glad you found it useful on a personal and professional basis, personal levels. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very honored to be on your show. I was listening to your interview uh, earlier today with Thomas Moore. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've loved that guy for 30 years. Mm. It, uh, from care of the soul on and his other books so anyway i, I just appreciate being on a program with you so um yeah. thank you for yeah my honor okay so you've written a lot and there's a lot of lectures of yours available online there's just uh so many topics that you've covered um so we could really talk about anything. You've, you've talked a lot about addiction and anger and men's work and relationships and divorce. But the one that the subject that's most alive for me right now in my life and that I found just super helpful is the work around regression. And we were speaking a little bit earlier and I was telling you that um, it's been so practically helpful to me in my relationship with my wife and my family. Um, but it's not something I hear a lot of people talking about. So I wanted to use this opportunity to hopefully introduce some more people to this idea. And I wonder if you could start just by talking a little bit about how you define emotional regression and how you came to make that such a focus of your work. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, every book that I've written has emanated and had its germ in my own personal life. And that's one reason why, hopefully, I've been able to translate some of these uh, difficult topics into language that I can understand. And, and people from clinicians to the construction worker can understand. Um, emotional regression is this phenomenon where one minute I'm feeling like a, an adult, I'm feeling like the age that I am, and then something gets said or done or not said or not done, and then I'm 12, or I'm 5, or I'm 16, and that's how I'm talking and responding to you, not from my neocortex and prefrontal adult brain, but from a regressed place. Regression is an unconscious and unintentional return to our histories. And, and we go there, uh, I, I talk about in, in the book, what I call transregression we go to these places almost as if we're in a trance and we don't know we're in those places until we come out of them. And then we usually say things like, wow, I can't believe I said that, you know, that's not like me to say something or do something like that. Well, it's like your 14 year old self mm. you know, 
oh, your your five-year-old self, your teen baby self. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. But I, I always try to make it clear, Brian, that emotional regression is not a neurosis or a psychosis. It's it's a fact of human nature that people will always regress uh, more or less, depending on some of the circumstances that uh, you and I can go into uh, and context. Um, but it's part of the human condition. But what I've focused on in my work is defining it, examining it, and catching it before we do too much damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing that comes up to me for me is the idea that some people may not be willing to admit that they've regressed to um, their 12 year old or eight year old self. I could see that a lot of people might be resistant to this idea. And uh -huh. yeah. And also that maybe even a defensive reaction to the suggestion that they might have been in a regression right. is a sign of a regression itself. That's right. You know, this like defiant, like, there's no way, there's no way I'm acting like I'm eight years old. So I could see it's like maybe a little complicated to work with someone who is um, not open to, to seeing themselves in that way. So how do you, uh, how do you help someone to understand that and to have some compassion for themselves around that and to really just honestly admit that that's what's happened? Well, you know, that's a very good question. I've taught this material like since uh, 1990, and so I've met a lot of people who go, yeah, I know it's me, and others, I don't want to know it's me. I mean, as soon as I start talking about regression, people go into a regression, you know? um, and, uh, and yet, if I explain it gently enough, but straightforwardly enough, most people will say what I've heard a thousand times, 10,000 times maybe, oh, wow, I regress all the time based on what you're saying. You know, uh, the person who hears, uh, has the boss say, I want to see you in my office first thing Monday morning. You know, that person is regressed all weekend long. You know, it. It reminds them of the time the principal said they wanted to see them in his office or wait till your dad gets home, you know, and, and, and the person just, you know, with just a short explanation, people will go, like I did. I, when I first started working with it, I thought, God, I regress all the time. Right. And, and so it seems that there's something related here. Like, so the person who gets told on Friday, uh, first thing Monday morning, you got uh, an appointment with the boss. He wants to see you. And then all weekend long, that person is in a state of anxiety, thinking right. about like, oh my God, they're going to fire me or they found out about that thing that I messed up. And it seems right. like when we go into a regression that we're really only able to see the most negative or painful outcomes or possibilities. So is that a good sign that we're in a regressed state? Yeah, I, I call it stories in your mind. 
uh, that whole weekend, the person's going to be thinking, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this other thing. But nobody in the history of employment has ever thought, damn, it's that raise I so readily deserve. Always worst case stories. Um, and, and again, that's one of the signs or symptoms that, you know, if your wife goes out of town and she says, I'm going to call you at 10 o'clock when I get to my hotel and it's 1010 and she hasn't called. Well, 1015 comes and she still hadn't called. Well, you don't regress until 1020 because you've had all this therapy and counseling. But then the stories start going, oh, uh, maybe she's been in an accident. Uh, maybe the plane crashed. Uh, maybe, oh, wait a minute, she's with her boss on this trip. <laughs> maybe she's with her boss. Uh, but it's always worst case, you know. And if you don't regress, you, you just go, oh, something probably came up and I'm going to go to bed and she'll call in the morning. But if you were abandoned as a kid or you had an infidelity in your first marriage, whatever, it, it always goes to worst case. Yeah, a big part of my work as a coach is when something like this comes up for people is just helping them see all of the other possibilities that are, are there um, and, and pointing out to them gently that most of the time we're always reaching for the most negative or hurtful possibility. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that we, God, it's gotta be 99, 100% of the time. We always go to that worst case scenario instead of the, you know, the possibility that is, uh, I don't know, that feels feels really good or less painful. Yes, benign and less pain. But see, that requires us to stay in our prefrontal lobe and our neocortex to come up with those adult possibilities. Once we get, get triggered, and there's gradations of regression. Sometimes we're a little bit regressed. Sometimes we're a lot. Sometimes we're extremely regressed. But um, <clears throat> see, once we start regressing, we leave the prefrontal cortex where all those choices are. See, one, one of the signs of, of regression is feeling like you don't have a choice, which we can talk about in a, in a bit. But um, once we regress, we're heading back into our limbic brain where there's only three things, three possibilities, and that's fight, flight, or freeze. So in a way, when we're making up these negative stories, we're sort of frozen, we're sort of fleeing from ourselves and and reality. And and in a way, we're almost creating a fight. So like when your wife does call at 1030, the first thing out of uh, a regressed person's mouth is, so where have you been? Why didn't you call? See the fight there. And then she tells you, oh, you know, the taxi that I was in had an accident and a flat tire. And, and then you snap out of it and go, oh, yes, I'm sure that's the case. I don't know what happened to me. But it was almost setting up a fight. So most people will fight and argue 
and have conflict when they're in a regress state and it never goes well. And one of, one of my sayings is, is most regressions equal regret. Hmm. I'm going to say something or do something or not say something or not do something that I may regret for days, weeks, or decades. Hmm. Yeah. And then I guess another response that seems pretty common is the shutting down where you become like kind of like a sulking child where it's like, well, fine, I'm not going to participate in any of this. Right. That's the fight or, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Or flying away from our emotions, from our feelings, we're just going to shut down. And, and, you know, one of the symptoms of regression is this thing of, hey, Brian, are you here? Uh, uh, where, where'd you go? Yeah. Well, I went somewhere, uh, you know, where I could feel a little safer, or I went somewhere where I was totally unsafe, and this is reminding me of that. Mm. So, mm. so regression is an unconscious, an unintentional return to our history. It's the feeling of being small or little. It's the feeling that I'm no longer a powerful adult that can make healthy choices. I'm being blown by the wind of whatever's happening now. And, and my only three choices is to fight it, fly away from it, or just freeze until it's over. Yeah, I think everybody can relate to that. Um, it, it happens all the time. I'm serious, you know. Once people identify it, they go, oh, my God, I, I regressed with my kid uh, yesterday. Uh, I regressed with my father on the phone last Sunday. You know, dad regressed on the phone last Sunday. And that's why I say it's just a part of life. But my job is to help people catch it before they do too much damage. And that's what I want to do with myself is that I could really see that I said things and did things that just was not my adult self doing them. Yeah. Why do you think it is that most of the time these stories that we go into are the ones that confirm the, the negative or limiting beliefs that we hold about ourselves and other people? Why, what is it in us that wants to always look for confirmation of these painful ideas about ourselves and others? Well, many of us just have so much shame that we have not dealt with uh, effectively and deeply. Uh, so in a way, that shame spiral happens, and, and we just think the worst. See, this, this is the thing that uh, I'll explain a little bit more about regression. Um, the part of the brain called the amygdala, I call it the little brain who remembers just that, that remembers just enough to keep us safe. So when you were two years old, a man in a grocery store wearing a black coat scared you, okay? I don't know why he did it or how it happened, but let's say it happened, okay? 30 years later, 
you're walking into a conference and you see a woman in a black coat. And for some reason, you turn and leave the conference. See, the amygdala registered just enough that there was some memory in us that is worst case. And the amygdala's job is to keep that uh, in us so that we will try to be safe. So if I said to you, why, why did you turn around and leave the conference? The answer most people would give is, I don't know, something just didn't feel right. Mm. I, I got a weird feeling uh, when I went in there. But the neocortex can't come up with an answer. Um, but again, regression never, never gives uh, a, a positive. Now, let me be clear about something because I talk about this in the book and I don't, I, I sometimes tend to forget it. Not all regressions are negative. Hmm. Not all regressions are, are disastrous. There are really good regressions sometimes. Uh, you've probably experienced, as most of us have, you know, you're driving in, in 2020 and you turn on the radio and out comes a song, in my case, from <laughs> 1959. And for three minutes, it isn't 2020, it's 1959. And I'm thinking about my girlfriend or what I was doing that day, that that song came on. That's a pleasant regression, hmm. you know. Um, now, if you stay in it for the rest of the day, you're probably not going to be very effective at work. But so that's that's a good regression. But most regressions just equal regret. Let me let me give you another sign of regression uh, for people. One of the things that I I, I but attach regression to is how time gets very, very elongated or shortened when somebody's in a regressed state. And when time feels like time is taking an extremely long time, that can be a sign of regression. Or when it's compressed and it feels like no time, that can also be uh, uh, a sign of regression. Um, so that, uh, you know, when you're courting and dating, you know, and you go out, uh, time gets compressed. You know, you, it's like, wow, do you realize we've been talking for eight hours straight? You know, and you go, wow, yeah. And then six years later, y'all want to have a conversation and 30 minutes seems like a long, long time. So time gets weird when we're in a regressed state. You know, like if you're in a grocery line and, and you're, you're, you're in a regressed state and somebody says, in front of you says, I want to go back and get something. You know, that's, that's like two days long, yeah. you know. And it puts you deeper into the regression. Exactly. <laughs> even further. Could yeah. you not, how could you not know what you needed before you got in front of me, you know? But if you're not in the regress state, you go, sure, take your time, because time is real.
it's only going to take a couple of minutes. So that's another sign is time gets elongated or shortened to the point that time doesn't feel real. Yeah. And this relates to how you described it as being in like a trance state. Yeah. 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 And that feels like really um, important to me because like when we're in a trance state, time gets slippery and stories become real, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the South, we, we have this story. It's, it's, it's as old as the South. Whenever your son doesn't come home from, uh, from uh, you know, his senior class uh, uh, dance, you know, he's supposed to be in at 12 and it's two in the morning. In the South, we have this thing of, you know, well, he must be dead in a ditch, you know. Mm. It's, that's like the overarching story in the South is, oh, he didn't call when he said he went, oh, he, he must be dead in a ditch somewhere. Again, going back to it's always worse, worse case. Yeah, yeah and that seems like a way to um – to kind of deal with the negative stories that we automatically jump to is to kind of poke fun at it, to go to like yeah, the, the worst case scenario. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it's a common phenomenon. Um, it's also a social and societal phenomenon. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah. See America, uh, the United States, uh, is in a and has been in a massive regressive state. Hmm. There's no clear thinking adults in charge. Mm -hmm. uh, that that you know the the virus. I, I I wish I could say that the virus brought on our regression, but the virus just intensified and deepened are already existent regression um, and and we just keep staying in a regressed state like you know when the virus first started <laughs> everybody made a run on toilet paper which, yeah. which still to this day just this i mean that's about as infantile <laughs> as you can get you right know? yeah i'm su i'm surprised they didn't demand diapers yeah. you know at that time um, but we we are so individually. One of the things, sort of a, a little background story. Robert Bly and I, who were teaching together for twenty years and good friends, uh, he wrote a book called The Sibling Society. Oh, I recommend it all the time to people. It's so Incredible. pertinent now. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. And so he and I talked about it, and, and and I was saying, well, listen, you take the societal. Uh, regression and I'll take the personal and individual regression and so if you put those two books together uh, it gives a, an expanded view both of the personal situ interpersonal situation and the greater larger context of the social and societal uh, regressions that we're in. Mm. Yeah aspect of the current time that I was thinking about yeah, and of course, I think like America and America's influence on the rest of the world, especially your neighbors to the north, which, you know, include myself in that, um, 
has been happening for a while and I think personified in, you know, the orange uh, man baby who's currently running your country. Um, but around the coronavirus, particularly, you know, my wife's an astrologer and she talks a lot about the qualities of the different planets and their kind of archetypal significance. And uh -huh. it's a very Saturnian time right now in that we're all being asked to endure some real heavy limitations on us. And I've been seeing that or interpret just froze. Yeah. You there? Yeah. Yeah, we had a nice little freezing there. Yeah. I I'll almost triggered a regression. <laughs> 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 almost not quite but almost we caught it we caught it yeah um yeah so just to pick up maybe where it froze well i can tell you you your wife says we're in saturn and that we're being called on and then i i, I lost that okay yeah so i'm just thinking about this uh societal or maybe even global regression yeah. that we're in right yeah. now brought yeah. on by the coronavirus, which has asked all of us to deal with some pretty strict limitations on our life. And where I went with it was that individually people having a reaction to limitation, which is kind of like paternal in a way, like Saturn is associated with uh, kind Father. of the older male. Yeah. And that there's been this like cultural reaction to that. And we see it manifest in people going to Costco and refusing to put on masks and have any more limitations put on them. And, you know, I see videos of this on YouTube and people are like little children, like screaming in the middle of a grocery store. Right. You're not going to tell me what to do. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the terrible twos, you know, it's like so many people have just, you know, one of the ways I, I talk about regression is a, a way to think about regression is the phrase, I lost it. Mm -hmm. And people would say, what do you mean? And I go, I mean, we've lost our ability to stay in our adult brain. And people will say, oh, well, now I know, you know, I was talking to my kids the other day and man, I lost it. Yeah. And they, you know, that's just another sort of pedestrian way of talking about emotional regression. Uh, and then they go on to say, I can't believe I talked to my kid this way. Well, you know, at some point we're going to wake up, I hope, and say, I can't believe that I yelled at that clerk in the, in the uh, uh, grocery store and they go back and apologize to that clerk like an adult would. Uh, but yeah, the, the rampant, and here in the United States, I'm gonna say 50% refuse to put on a mask. Mm -hmm. They just, I mean, like, like they were children. Uh, I'm going to refuse, you cannot tell me what to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we're, this this is a, a, a very regressive time. Well, I think another one of the symptoms that you point out in your book is 
the reduction to binary thinking to everything being black or white. And I mean, we can see this in the culture right now, right? Like with so much uh, polarization on all these different levels of our society right now. Right. Yeah. Like I said earlier that uh, when we're in an adult state, we can always come up with choices. And when we're really in an adult state, there will always be at least three or more. But when we're in a regressed state, there's usually only one. The more we regress, the, the uh, fewer things we can choose. And, and now you're exactly right. We're in this or that, them or us, black or white, rich or poor. And so we're thinking that way. Yeah. And, and really, that's just a sign of, of regression. When I'm in an adult state and you say, John, uh, what do you want to do here? I can go, oh, I could do this, this, or this, or maybe this. Yeah. But when I say, oh, Brian, I have no choice but to do this. I, that's when I tell my clients or workshop people, please don't do anything when that, when, when you're hearing yourself, you know, like I'll talk to my clients say, I might say something like, so why don't you change jobs since you don't like your work? I have no choice. Yeah. I'm trapped. Yeah. Why, why are you staying in this abusive marriage? I don't have a choice. And then what I do is say, let's look at the regression that, that is happening now to bring this down to you have no other choices except this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another kind of way this shows up, we were talking about the binary is the um, right or wrong. You're with us or you're against us. And this morning in a session with a client, Rumi got invoked and I was reminded of uh, one of the Coleman Barks interpretations of his poems that says something like, out beyond ideas of right and wrong, there's a field, I'll meet you there. And that seems to me like such a good response when we catch ourselves in a regression. It's like, honey, I'm feeling like eight years old right now. And uh, let's meet each other in this field. Beyond, yeah. Like, yeah. like the yeah. field is beyond like beyond right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. and like the but field see, is like that's, adulthood, that's, where oh, there's shoot, like we're freezing again. But what I was going to say is, is that that field beyond right and wrong is where. If we don't start meeting out there, I'm afraid we're going to kill each other at some point. You're already killing the planet, you know, with right and wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the field is kind of like the field of adulthood Uh um, where there's multiple possibilities and options for how to be and how to act. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I love Yeah. So uh, we talked, you know, about some of the symptoms and signs that we're in a regression and and what that can lead to. Now, 
what do you think are some good ways for us once we're able to like catch it and admit to ourselves that we're in a regression? What are some of the ways that we can, as you say in your book, grow ourselves back up, which I love. Well, and you just said it a moment ago. Uh, one of the best things that we can do is tell the person we're with and ourselves the truth about where we are. Uh, honey, I'm not able to have this conversation right now because I'm feeling, you know, five years old or 12 years old and I need to grow myself back up because I know this is an important conversation to have. So here's, here's the five things that will bring people out of a regress state. Okay. First one is attention. Attention. A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, in case you Canadians cannot hear my southern drawl. Attention. But now here's the problem with attention. When we get triggered and regressed, we want attention from the person who has the least ability to give it to us. Hmm. Say, say more about that. Well, if, if your wife triggers your regression uh, in our regress state we want her to grow us back up we want her to say something or do something but she's involved in the regressive moment so what i say is is we got to seek attention from somebody who's not tied into this regression and who can be in their adult self and not get triggered. Mm. And that's why I came up years ago with this thing I call the detour method. So that I go, honey, I'm eight years old. Uh, I really want to have this conversation. Uh, I'm either going to go take a walk or I'm going to call a friend or a sponsor or something because I, I need what in self-psychology is called an additional self to help me come out of this regressive self that I'm in. Right. So someone like in maybe more common parlance is someone that is, uh, is grounded and self-regulated, yes. self so a calm, grounded person. Right, right. And so, you know, then you, you, you do that. Or sometimes you can't get a hold of somebody, so you have to do it yourself. Uh, the poet Wallace Stevens had a wonderful line that, uh, that really spoke to me. He said, uh, sometimes the truth depends on a walk around the lake. Hmm. And I realized, you know, when I first read that, I thought of all many times where I should have just said, listen, honey, I need to take a walk uh, and get some clarity. I'll be back in an hour, and and then we can finish this discussion. Uh, the second thing that will bring us out of regression is empathy. Empathy. Uh, empathy elevates us out of this a small place and brings us back to adulthood, but. The problem with that one is, is that many, many people, and I include clinicians in this as well and, and, and coaches sometimes, but 
we have been taught when somebody is in distress to sympathize with them instead of empathize with them. And sometimes those two words actually get used interchangeably as if they meant the same thing. Sympathy shrinks you when you're already in a regress state, and empathy elevates you out of the regress state. Sympathy says, I'm feeling what you're feeling. So if your wife is angry, you're angry. If she's sad, you're sad. If you're sad, she's sad. So sympathy is, I'm going to take your feelings into my own body. Empathy says, I understand some of what you're going through because I've been through similar experiences myself, but I'm going to keep my boundaries up while we're having this discussion and not let your emotions and feelings penetrate into me. I need to regulate my own and stay in my adult place. Mm. So empathy is, is the second. Third is time. Time. Just the, walk, the walk around the lake. Exactly. The walk around the lake. Uh, you know, Wallace Stevens, no, Faulkner, uh, William Faulkner said, uh, um, uh, the past isn't dead. It's not even the past. <laughs> when we're in the regress state, past, present, and future melts into one, one thing. And so, again, this is why when we're both in a regressed state, we might have this argument from 8 o'clock till 3 in the morning, mm. both because time has collapsed, but also because uh, we, we're trying to grow ourselves back up in a context with time that's just not conducive. We actually need, you know, if me and my loved one is having problems, I need, may need some of your time to give me that attention or empathy or both. Yeah, and when you're embroiled in the eight hour long argument, you're in it with the person who's in the regression with you, so you're in kind of like a time loop. Exactly, exactly. And you say and do things that you absolutely will regret, you know. Uh, the uh, fourth thing is contact. Uh, contact with somebody over the phone or face-to-face -face or physical contact, uh, you know, holding, uh, touching if it's appropriate, hand-holding, um, that I, I just need to know I'm not alone in this moment that I'm regressing my face off, you know. And then the last one is what I call emotional release, that when I'm in a regressed state, I am contracted, mm -hmm. I'm thoroughly contracted. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. So <clears throat> if I can find a way or several ways to release that contraction, which releases those emotions, which then leaves me expansive enough to deal with you as an adult, if you're in an adult place. And if you're not, at least I know now that I've stopped contracting and I'll give you some time 
uh, and not worry that you're going to abandon me or, or leave me. Right. Okay. This is funny. So getting ready for this conversation, I was reading, um, growing yourself back up and something happened last night that, uh, could be an example of how well or how not well I'm integrating some of this material. So let me do some, um, some vulnerable disclosure here and, and share something that people might be able to relate to. Great. So, Last night, my wife Debbie and I were after dinner just hanging out and watching a movie, just totally chill, and she's on one side of me and our dog is on the other side. And I'm just slipping into deep relaxation, just starting to feel like, all right, this is, this is good. I'm just going to like enjoy this for the next couple hours before bed. And then at some point, she uh, offers the dog some of the leftovers off of her plate. And she does this on her side of me. And so the dog lunges after the food and in the process steps on my balls. And I shout, my legs kick out. I hit the coffee table. My full drink flies everywhere. It's spilling onto the new sofa cushions. And, you know, I I lost it in that moment. And, um, you know, I think I yelled something like, like, why would you do that? That was so stupid. And caught myself and realized, hey, slow down. In the, in the midst of all this, the dog had split, you know. Of course. <laughs> They're the blind of the two, of the three. Yeah. So what I did, uh, I went into the bedroom under the auspices of just making sure the dog wasn't too freaked out, that he didn't think it was about him or anything like that. So I lay down on the bed with the dog and he's a super chill dog. So I just lay down, put my hand on him and just focused on my breathing kind of let the energy of that shock uh, dissipate a little bit. And uh-huh. then uh, I got clear headed. I could really feel the fog lift. Right. And then I went back to Debbie, we cleaned up and I kind of, we just started laughing about it. I was like, imagine if somebody had filmed that and shown that whole sequence of events in slow motion, you know, she's offering the dog the food, the dog lunges, lands on my crotch. I've explode. The drink goes flying, you know, and, and we just had a good laugh about it. And um, so I guess like I found my own way to grow myself back up. Like I, I need to, that separation. I need a little yep, time. Yep. Well, need- and also you had contact with your pet too. Yeah, exactly. That's what made me think about it is yeah. uh, just sitting there with a dog who probably shook it off real quick and just real went quick went out of the, the maelstrom, you right. know, <laughs> he was like waiting out the storm. <laughs> but you know, you just said, you just said a very important thing that a lot of us forget. The dog shook it off. Yeah. See, and, and in all of nature, whenever there's a, a traumatic moment and uh, dogs, horses, birds will shake. Mm-hmm. literally shake their body. We stop that. Yeah. We stop that because we've been told uh, early on as kids to don't do that, that that's not nice to do that in public, that you're weird if you do that. But animals, and we are one, they keep doing it because that's one of the best ways to come out of shock, come out of trauma, 
and in our sense, it would be to come out of regression. So you took some time, you took some deep breaths, you made some contact, and then you come back in, and now both of your adult selves, A, gets to clean up, and B, gets to laugh about how funny it is. Yeah, which might be the emotional release. Exactly. That's, oh, exactly, the laughter. Yeah. See, the emotional release is not always characterized by crying or, or doing anger work. Yeah, or yeah, it doesn't mean that we have to go in the bedroom and start smashing the pillows, right? That's right. No, <laughs> laughter, that's, I've always included that as a main form of emotional release um, and because it's so useful. It's so useful. Now, if you hadn't have gone into the bedroom, what might your regression have led to next? Let's hypothetical. Oh, man, no, I could see it coming down the road, you know. Um, it would have been me um, just kind of berating my wife for feeding the dog at the table and not being considerate of me and my space and, and all that kind of thing. It just would have been like uh, berating and uh, belittling. Um, there you go. There you yeah. go. Here, here's the nine things. Trying to make her as feel as small as I felt in that moment, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Regression loves company. Regression loves company. Love company. Man, that just hit me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to regress, by God, I'm going to take somebody with me, even if it has to be the dog. You know? <laughs> I don't want to be down here by myself. By yeah. myself. No, it's very, it's, uh, you know, it's like rage. Regression and rage is contagious. You know, that's what's happening here in our country again. Regression and rage is contagious, and it's spreading like, like, like the other virus, you know, is spreading. Uh, it, it's when I regress, I want, I want somebody else to go down that rabbit hole with me, mm. and I know exactly what to say or do to trick her your regression if I've known you or loved you for a long time. Oh yeah. If I've gotten to know all of your soft spots and buttons and I, wounds. Yeah. I'll tell you a regression, personal regression that I saw that I did catch, but you just reminded me of one. It, it, it didn't end up in laughter sadly, but I at least came out of it. Um, my stepdaughter, this was years and years ago, my stepdaughter and, uh, her mother was on the couch when I came in from uh, being on the road for about two weeks. And I came in, and they were cuddling. She was 13, and, and uh, her mom and she was cuddling on the couch uh, watching television. And I came in, and I saw that, and I said, what the hell are y'all doing with an angry tone? Mm. You know, and they just kind of looked at me and, and said, uh, we're cuddling and watching a movie. And with, because I'd been practicing this, like obviously you have, I caught it. And I, and I realized that I went back to 11, 12, 13, 14. Nobody had ever done that with me. See? Hmm. So it the triggered... Cuddling. Yeah, it, it mm. triggered what was not done. Yeah. And sometimes these triggers go to what was done. 
thing. And that's why I always say what was said, not said, done, not done can can cause that trigger and, and real quickly i saw where it was and i apologized i said i'm sorry you know uh, i just i just can't ever remember having had this kind of interaction mm. so here's the things that tends to make us regress uh sooner deeper and and uh these, these are the things that we want to avoid as much as possible, or at least limit. One is exhaustion. If I'm exhausted, my, my fight, flight, or freeze regressive state is gonna be enhanced. If I'm sick, I, I, that I can regress real easily if I have a cold or the flu, and again, the virus, see, uh, people are exhausted, people are sick, and therefore regression. Um, uh, if I'm hungry, if I hadn't eaten well or right, mm -hmm. you look at me a certain way, boom, I'm uh gone. Anyone who's been on a road trip with their spouse knows all about that one. <clears throat> up, up here, I don't know if you got the same term, but we call it being hangry. Oh, right. No, I've never heard that. Right. Uh -huh. You're just hungry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, these, these are what I call the preconditions. Stress, if, you, if I'm really stressed out, you're stressed out, regression is far more likely to happen than if I'm relaxed and rested. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm real lonely, if I've been isolating and I'm lonely, uh, regression, that, that's real fertile ground for regression to get planted in. Yeah, again, so, people are really going to be feeling that these days, right? Exactly, exactly. See, uh, uh, you know, I wrote a, a blog a few weeks ago saying, you know, we're experiencing a kind of loneliness uh, that is is now uh, very different than a lot of people have. I mean, you know, I'm a dyed in the wool introvert, so my life didn't change a whole lot. Yeah, me too. But after six months, mm -hmm. I started to experience a kind of loneliness because I can't go have coffee with one of my friends. I can't go have lunch with one of my friends. I can't have people in the house, which I don't do much anyway. But now that it's all mandatory and imposed, again, no choice, mm -hmm. say. And so what some of these regress people are saying is, no, I'm gonna go wherever I want, do whatever I want. Uh, because I'm just in a regressed state and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what else can, where else would you like to go about this? Well, yeah, I think we covered regression really, really well. <clears throat> now there was, uh, you did a webinar recently that I tuned into and there was a concept or approach that you talked about in that, that I also found helpful. And I found that it's, it's it's maybe related so i think one of the ways that we can be triggered into a regression <clears throat> is when our 
unconscious, unspoken boundaries and limitations have been crossed. And in this webinar, you talked about this approach or this concept that I think you called uh, compassionate assertiveness. And I think that was really helpful to me in just like naming it, clarifying it, what that looks like and what it helps us to avoid, which I think can often be a trigger into a regressed state. Um, so I wondered if you could just briefly describe compassionate assertiveness, if I got that right. Yep, and yep. Uh, also I found your clarification of boundaries and limitations really helpful. Oh, good, good, good. Well, let's do both in the time that we have here. Um, <clears throat> when when people are triggered and regressed, uh, the little the little aphorism I came up with: adults express anger, regressed men and women rage. When I'm in a an adult place. I can express to you my feelings of anger, sadness, or frustration with compassion. But when I'm regressed, I don't have that ability. So we go, uh, regressed people go into rage. I'm going to give you the nine things that people do when they think they're in an adult place and they're expressing uh, themselves in trying to share with the other person. Here's Wait, you have to right? emphasis on when they think they're think. an adult. Okay, so these are things maybe to watch out for. Right. Right. If any one of these things apply, you may not be as adult as you think you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great, that's great, 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 great. All right, so shaming the other person, blaming the other person, preaching at the other person, trying to teach the other person, demeaning the other person, demoralizing the other person, judging and criticizing and analyzing. And there's no compassion in any one of those. Yep, Not yep. And the image I immediately get is, well, all those things are diminishing the other person, but you're diminishing it from like one of your old colleagues, uh, Robert Moore, talked about the high chair tyrant that can live inside of us. And I met King, King Baby. Yeah, King, King, King Baby. And we know you've got one of those running the country, right? But right. like from the high chair, doing all of this judging and, and trying to make the other person small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so what I learned from that is, is there is no compassion. Um, and if you now go into the, the next subject, sort of, uh, if you and I have really good boundaries and limits in place, we're first compassionate with ourselves and then those good boundaries and limits although it may not feel like it in the moment to the other person but me having my best boundaries and my best limits is actually a compassionate act towards you that again if you're triggered you may not get it 
right then, but later on you'll go, well, at least you didn't shame me, blame me, diminish me in some kind of way. Um, yeah, let me let me try this uh, out on you and see what you think. So what I'm getting from that is it's showing compassion for the other person when you clearly define and express your boundaries and limitations because it lets the, it lets them in on your inner world, the things That's that right. you, you set up for yourself. And so they know where you're coming from when you say, uh, I just can't anymore or I, gotta, exactly. I can't do it right now, right? Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's the compassion is thinking about their feelings when you uh, define or enforce your boundaries, right? Right. right. Now, I'm going to give you two thoughts about boundaries and limits that I won't say is unique to me, but I, I will say that uh, I spent a lot of time working with this. A boundary that can't be defended is not a boundary. That's one thing to keep in mind. People think they're setting boundaries a lot of times, but then when you ask them what happens, they'll say, well, they were ignored, or my boundaries weren't respected, or my boundaries were trampled on. And then I go, then they weren't boundaries. They were psychological, self-help, recovery, new age words, but they had no substance. Mm, it was like so, a, a line in the sand. Yeah, and, and you can see it. Mm. And you can't cross it without there being some kind of consequence. Mm. But a lot of people say, oh, I set boundaries every time I go home with my mother. And she just ignores them. And I go, then they weren't boundaries. Okay, maybe another way I'm trying to understand, um, maybe another way to explain it is that not that so one way to say is that things they they have to be uh, able to be defended but also it's not really a boundary until you actually are able to defend it to um yes. so the establishment of the battery is your sticking to it right right and yeah. following through right not wa waffling and wavering you know but but really meaning it and it can be one of the most compassionate things now, the second piece that I want to go to is limits. This is something that I found very strange uh, when I was working on some of this material. Um, many, many books have been written on boundaries, mm -hmm. and a few books that have been written on boundaries uh, uh, either do not talk about limits, or once again, they use the words boundaries and limits interchangeably as if they meant the same thing. So I'm going to do a little quick version of that for the folks listening. A boundary is this is how close you can come to me. A limit is how far I'll go along with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the greatest causes and non-compassionate acts is to not know what your limits are and then get angry mm -hmm. at the person who has surpassed them. Yeah, you blame the other person Absolutely. because you went, you went over your limit and your capacity to do whatever you were doing for them, right? When I first came across this, this quite a few years ago, a woman called and said, John, I'm so angry at my son, I could kill him. 
course, she was exaggerating, but homicide is a red flag of regression, by the way. You know, when you want to kill your kids or your wife, you're pretty triggered at that moment. You need to calm down. I said, what are you so angry about? She said, he's an addict. And I told him I would put him through two of the best treatment centers in the country. But then after that, he would be on his own. I said, well, so what happened? And she said, I've put him through three. <laughs> right. She didn't defend her limitation. That yes, she... I, said, I said, so you're angry at your son for not knowing what your limitations are, your limits, even though you, you said it was two, but you didn't really mean to. Yeah, they're, they're yours to enforce. So it's taking responsibility for those things and not blaming other people for, um, for not respecting them. Because right. why, why would they respect a, a wall that is so easily pushed over? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So one of the things that, you know, as an introvert and, and what's called an HSP, highly sensitive person, um, I had to find out what my limits are in different, especially social situations because what happens one of the things that uh, causes regression it for a lot of people is too much of some things and too little of other things so like if i get too much stimulation i get tired and then i, I set myself up for regressing in a small way or in a large way. So what I had to do is find out what my limits are. Like when I go home, I'm, I don't go home very often to my parents, uh, but when I do go, I only stay two hours. Mm -hmm. Because I know two hours, we're gonna have a good exchange, I'm gonna stay in my adult, we're going to have nice conversations, but if I stayed four hours or five hours, which I used to do, by mm -hmm. the way, then it, the conversations would degenerate and, and, and then tensions and stress would escalate. Yeah. So I go, you know, and mom and dad will always say, well, why don't you spend the night and just stay here with us? You don't need a hotel. And I go, if I stay here with you, I'll regress my face off, <laughs> even though I've been working with this material for 30 years, you know? Yeah. So finding out what your limits are, like, especially if, if you have, a, have to have a hard conversation with a kid or a spouse or whatever, you know what your limit is, and best case, you're in an adult place enough to state what that limit is. Mm -hmm. John, can we talk about this thing going on? Well, Brian, I think I could do 30 minutes. Oh, why 30 minutes? Because I've, I'm tired, I've had a pretty hard day, but I think if we can keep it to 30 minutes, I'll be good. Yeah. You know, and then when 30 minutes comes, you can renegotiate if you still feel like it, or you can stick with it and not get overstimulated or understimulated, and you'll have a much better conversation. Now, with that all said, I'm about out of yeah. my limit. 
and I'm sure you maybe might be too. Um, but one of the things that regressed people do is they assume they know the answers for everybody. And adults only assume they know their answers for themselves. But, um, you know, I think hopefully we've covered some of what you wanted to cover. And, oh, yeah. You know, we froze a couple of times. <laughs> we, we didn't regress. John, I, I just want to thank you for uh, being so generous with your time. You've offered some real practical wisdom here. And um, I'll, I'll do everything I can to promote your, your website and your books and some of those webinars. So I'll include links in the show description, johnleebooks.com. John is still doing his private practice. So you can have coaching sessions with John. And um, I think I might follow up and do one of your consultations and see if we can. Great. It'd be a pleasure. Yeah. See if we can work together. Cause uh, I think you got so much to offer through all of your years of real experience. You're not just a, a theory guy, you're on the ground helping people and learning as you go. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and, and I've enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and, and there was a really stimulating interview and I thank you for that and I thank you for promoting my work and uh, I'll have Kathy my assistant uh, get in touch so that we can put a, a link to you and your show because you're doing some really interesting things and and some exciting uh, uh, things and exploring areas that I know little or nothing about so mm. I want to thank you for the good work you're doing and uh, I appreciate this time Okay. Great. And maybe uh, we can talk down the road sometime. Be glad to. Be glad to. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a podcast supporter at patreon.com forward slash medicine path, where for just $2 a month, you'll gain access to the complete podcast archives, exclusive bonus episodes, podcast extras, and a lot more. It's really easy to sign up and you can cancel at any time. Please go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash medicine path to find out more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.